Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think you got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. In the Booth on a Monday. Good to have you with us today. Dreary day. We're in a much better uh, talkative sports mood than the weather might indicate. Lots going on what a great time to be alive awesome football game at clemson on saturday lots of twists and turns to parse over another road game this week at pittsburgh two games 163 today and you you can join us by phone at 437-7644 that's for espn 44 in the booth brought to you by marriott syracuse downtown and we are fired up paulie has made it back from his drive and uh, we've got lots to get into on this game and uh, certainly you can Fire away with your phone calls. There's a couple of things, though, that are non-starters. Do not want to hear it on clock go. management. I don't want to hear it. All right? So here's my own personal thought process on how this came to be. So I think I may have said on the broadcast at about a minute and change to go, they've got to be considering, or I wonder if Dino Babers is considering a timeout in this situation as Clemson is driving for what turns out to be the game winner. Then you kind of focus on stuff, and now the game's over, and away we go. And nobody cares, but probably the biggest challenge for me on game day is game over, pack up, sprint out the booth. At home, it's pretty easy. We have a great route to the uh, locker room. On the road, it could be like an Olympic event, and and Brian Higgins has to do it a couple of times. You know, coming up at halftime and everything. On the road, you are going uh, across the traffic that is leaving the stadium. You know the deal, Paul. In a lot of these road stadiums, they're no more sophisticated to get to the locker room than go down in the stands. Yeah, you have to walk through the stands and across <laughs> and, the field and fight across the traffic that's trying to leave and uh, eighty thousand get, get to where you're going. This week, Heinz Field is simple. It's an NFL stadium, and they've thought of things like that but and nobody cares but the, for me one of the things I feel like I uh, don't do the best job of sometimes is in that time as I'm hustling down there now I'm kind of playing the game over in my head and I've taken all these notes and stuff over the course of the game but what really happened here what were the turning points what should I be asking about because I'm going down to get coach Babers and a couple of players so at Clemson you have a couple of things. First of all, they survived. They're happy. They're generally good, gracious hosts down there. So there's a lot of, and I'm wearing a Syracuse logo shirt, so whether they saw the microphone or not or whatever, they probably take me to be one of the coaches sprinting down, going that way. And I got a lot of, y'all played a good game. You know, good luck. Hey, I'm not on the team, but I appreciate it. And I did hear a couple of guys going the other way with typical comments that you would hear on Sports Talk Radio around here. Before I get to, boy, they're going to have a hard time keeping this coach. I heard a couple of those yeah. on the way down. I also heard, in fact, one of the guys I went down with from the going through the media elevator and everything says, what is Babers doing? Why didn't he call timeout? And I'm thinking, well, what? exactly when would those timeouts have been called? And am I going to go down here and grill Dino Babers about 
not calling timeout. And I didn't, chiefly because it's not the reason they lost the game. They lost the game for several other reasons that we can get into. But one of my main reasons I'm not making a big deal about the clock management aspect of it is if you watch their second half offense, what confidence or what feeling do you have that 20 or 30 seconds would have made any difference? Because that's really all we're talking about in terms of saving it here. Dino Babers will be the first to tell you. He professes himself, and he actually brought it up post game. He will be right out front, I am a clock management expert. He even said in the post-game press conference, his exact expression would be, you know, hey, if you want to have a board game and want to go and, and discuss this, let's do it. I'm really good at it, he said. The basis of Dino Baber's confidence in his clock management skills is he learned at the hands of a guy named Homer Smith, longtime college football coach. The guy who literally... Literally wrote the, the book. book on clock management. What's the title of the book, Polly? The Complete Handbook of Clock Management. <laughs> <laughs> this is not exactly uh, exciting bedtime reading. Okay. How but, uh, do you have the book? Uh, well, book? I was curious. We've had this conversation with Dino Babers before. So I bought the book. Okay, here's the whole thing. I mean, it's it's 160-odd pages of every scenario you can think about. When to clock it, when not to, when to use your timeouts, what to do when you have timeouts and you're winning, what to do when they've got timeouts, what to, how to, you know, here's some of the highlights, Paul. Like you flip to the back of the book. It's not, it's not exactly a page turner, but here's the review of the book. Have you ever tried squeezing in the next to last play before a field goal kick and had time expire before you could kick? Blah, blah, blah. Topics covered include introducing the challenge, playing fast, taking a safety, trying for two points. Distinguishing between procedures and decisions. Playing clock defense. Letting your opponent score a TD. I heard that one. Should have just let them score. Theory. Somebody called Daniel's show this morning. Let them score. You don't have to read this book to know. Letting them score is the right play about one in a hundred times. About one in a hundred. Okay? Let them score. So, on page 149er, in the category playing clock defense. Now, the point is, in the the... the it's kind of a middle ground because Clemson was neither playing fast nor bleeding the clock. You look at the last handful of plays for Clemson, they snapped at 18, 15, 16, and 15 on the play clock. So you could argue that they left too much time for Syracuse. They left a lot of time on the, on the uh, clock themselves. It is only when he, the opposing coach, has a first and goal and is assured of time to execute all four of his plays that you can use your timeouts to save time for yourself without saving time for him. So really for Syracuse, the only time that really you start considering when you might have used a timeout is now Chase Bryce has completed, and we'll come back to this, completed that 20-yard throw to T. Higgins. That was a great play. Then he's run for first down at the Syracuse 15. That's about the first time that you'd think about it. That's what 204. But it's still, according to the book, not the proper time Correct. to call the The timeout. next time, Tavian Feaster ran 11 yards for the first down to the Syracuse 5. Goal to goal, they're going to score. Okay? That was with 123 remaining. The next snap was at 116. They could have bled a little more clock. Clemson could have there. 
to me, if I'm Dino Babers, the time I do call timeout would be to set the defense, not so much to stop the clock because all along Clemson's sort of helping you. You're, you're trying until this point. This is this was sort of the turning point. They maybe could have taken one timeout there, and I figured I put it down to say maybe 24 seconds. The play before the touchdown play ended at 108. Then Clemson snapped it with 15 on the play clock, 44 seconds to go, and they scored. Now we know that Syracuse in the next possession really short-circuited any chance they had to come back. The first uh, play was good, a run by Dungey. The second play uh, led to the illegal hands to the face. That sent them back 15. That was a problem. Uh, That really shot them in the foot with any chance. Then, of course, the sack where Coda Martin wasn't aware of the snap count either, couldn't hear. He's playing down to the student section end. There were a lot of things that went wrong in this game. Here's where Babers claims that he did consider timeouts, and it's probably not what you think. Ending the game with timeouts, that's one thing. That fourth and seven, I was 50-50 about calling a timeout right there. And the reason why it was 50-50 is because of, of the rookie quarterback. They've got a rookie quarterback that the quarterback coach and the offense coordinator would love to talk through this fourth and seven call. And I'm sitting here going, do I want to let them talk to this kid? It was a 50-50. And I said, no, I don't want, I get, that kid's got to do it on his own. I don't want a coach to tell him exactly what to do on this play before he gets there. Make him do it on his own. So besides that and the last school right before the touchdown because I thought there were so many plays in a row maybe to give the defense a break. That, now, if you want to get into Babers for that, I'm with you on that one. I think that one's a, a fair criticism. That's not a timeout worth keeping in your pocket. Not that you really know you're going to have so little time, 41 seconds. But here's another of the reasons that he – because they, they obviously needed help lining up and all of that stuff defensively, and you may have could have uh, stopped the world from spending there long enough to maybe put you in position to get a goal line stop and force a, a game-tying field goal instead. The other way, Syracuse was not really moving the ball. When they were moving the ball, a lot of that's in the middle of the field. If you're going to use the middle of the field, you need timeouts. Syracuse's best running attack is the quarterback. The quarterback, by definition, runs basically in the middle of the field. How else is the quarterback going to run and where from? Um, that is going to require a timeout to stop the clock uh, after quarterback runs in the middle of the field that don't get first downs. So that's not the reason they lost the game. They, you know, In a game like that, you need to be perfect. You're going to go on the road, three touchdown dogs against an unbeaten and number three team in the country – you're going to have to play perfect football. And they got a lot of breaks, got a ball put on the ground, second play of the game, scored only three points out of that. They got a muff punt, went backwards. You know, So those were the things that kind of made this a little bit of a mirage in terms of, oh, gee, Syracuse let this one slip away. They're not going so good that you're looking at slipping away when you're on the road in a game like that. They had 12 first downs. Had 311 yards of total offense. It wasn't like they dominated Clemson. It was there for the taking in a lot of ways, but let's note some of the assistants and things like that that were uh, were a part of. It. We'll take a break here. We're going to come back and hit on some key themes that came out of that game. Seth just hit the big news of the press conference today. Matt Keller, who was in significant pain leaving the game on Saturday, 
shut down for the year, and he's a senior, so his uh, Syracuse career is over. That is a huge injury. The special teams has been so good. Keller, I don't recall a bad snap in his career, and uh, you know maybe one. I don't. There's not a lot of bouncing it back to the punter or missing the holder and that type of thing on uh, placements. He was a really uh, smooth operator and steady, and now you replace him with a freshman. Special teams has been a strength of the orange uh, throughout the season, and that called into a little bit of question uh, due to injury. So that's big news. You could touch on that. If you'd like to join us by phone, you can do it, 437-7644. And then we'll bring in Seth Everett at the end of the show. And I thought we would term this uh, playoffs for dummies because we've been knee-deep in football here for this past month. What are we missing? Game 163 is happening in the National League and uh, today, but they do nothing more than determine which series to follow. But all four of these teams playing today, right now the Brewers lead the Cubs at Wrigley in the fifth, one to nothing. Later it's the Dodgers hosting the Rockies. All four of those teams are in the postseason and will uh, continue series later this week, but the results of these games today determine who and where they play. So we'll touch base on that with Seth Everett. And much more. If you want to join us, you can by phone, 437-7644 for ESPN 44. We're off and running in the booth on ESPN Radio Series. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Welcome back in the booth. Postseason baseball. Got to love it. Games 163. Not quite the drama of uh, Yankees-Red Sox 78. It's not like a lose-go-home situation in the two games today, but the Cubs on a home run from Anthony Rizzo, have tied it up against the Brewers. That game 1-1 in the home half of the fifth at Wrigley Field. That place must be buzzing today. Wrigley's so cool for day games, and lots of people must have called in sick. And Good times had by all by the crew there, so that's a lot of fun. We're talking uh, orange football, among other things. We'll talk baseball with Seth Everett coming up later. Seth is also our uh, football and soon-to-be basketball post-game host, so we'll uh, touch base on those things as we roll along, your calls welcome. If we can squeeze them in at four three seven seven six four four three one five four three seven seven six four four. I'm just trying to refute a couple of things that I heard, and I probably should stay off Twitter after games. I think I get a between the Syracuse.com comment section and Twitter. On uh, you actually look in the comments at Syracuse.com uh, once is, a month. That yeah. will fry your brain. Oh cells. my god, it's just amazing. It's the scourge of humanity. Yeah, that and then Twitter. Here's what I don't. I just don't want to hear about blue this. They didn't blow anything. They gained on that day. They gained on Saturday. Was it disappointing? Missed opportunity? Yep, you can say all those things. Uh, they gained. All right. The the poll results show that they'll be fa- they're favored on the road in a conference game at Pittsburgh this week. Have to win this week. Got to validate. You don't win this week. Now you've lost something. You win against Pittsburgh. Now you're favored coming back home off a of bye week. You got. North Carolina, and then a good NC State team. You could be six and one. I think they may be ranked at five and one. You'd definitely be ranked at six and one. And now you're really talking about turning a corner uh, for the time being. The other thing, I the the couple things I want to not hear about the game, and we can uh, certainly take your calls and submissions. The couple things that are going to set me off that we're putting on the I don't want to hear about it list. One, clock management. Number two. How do you get beat by the third-string quarterback? Heard some of that. All right, first of all, Chase Bryce is the third-string quarterback only because he's at Clemson. There's about five programs where he'd be the third-string quarterback. He's on par with, say, Tommy DeVito. 
highly recruited, state champion, four-star type recruit. We're all excited about Tommy DeVito. That's who Chase Bryce is. They didn't pull him out of the smoothie line at the student union at Clemson. He was ready to go. Now, is he as coached up as he would be if he was higher on the depth chart? No. Is he as good as Kelly Lawrence or uh, Trevor Lawrence? Of course not. Is he as good as Kelly Bryant? No. But he's plenty good. The fact that he was in there, Clemson themselves obviously weren't as confident as him as they were their other two quarterbacks. They played it safe. They pounded the ball with Travis Etienne, and that was a problem for Syracuse. Etienne ran for 200 yards and three touchdowns. That's among the obvious big issues that uh, kept the Orange from winning the game. But the turning point for me in the game is it's fourth down in a yard. Clemson's desperate. They're going to go for it. They have their own false start penalty. That was the best break they got all day. Clemson gave Syracuse some breaks by putting the ball on the ground a couple of times. Syracuse was plus two in turnover margin on the day. That penalty, now setting that up to be fourth and six, you heard Dino Baber say, that's when I actually considered calling timeout. And again, that wouldn't have been to stop the clock because the clock was stopped on the penalty. Um, That put pressure on the Syracuse defense and defensive coaches because now at fourth and six, there's a lot of different things they might try to do. At fourth and one, they're probably going to pound the rock and you can pretty much guess one of the two running plays that they're going to, they've been running uh, throughout the day. He makes a tremendous throw. Okay. Not really a freshman throw. Looking off a safety, dropping a dime on the right sideline to T Higgins, Great catch. Then Bryce runs on first down. The next play picks up big chunk yardage. Those plays back-to-back, those were the backbreakers for the Syracuse defense, in my opinion. Obviously, the series before that, when the Orange looked like they had converted, and uh, it was called back with the uh, illegal man downfield on left tackle Cody Conway, who, as it turned out, had nobody to block either. Uh, Clemson played a different front than Syracuse anticipated, and uh, that one was a big setback. Those were the... The reasons, you know, I want you to understand how rare it is. I just went and called up. These are the games since uh, 2003, or sorry, since 2000, where Syracuse has gone on the road and the opponent has made at least three turnovers. Clemson was the 26th game since 2000 that that's happened. So that's a uh, twice every three year or a three-time every two-year occurrence. Okay, so that happens about one and a half times a year. Um, it's amazing how many of these games weren't won. But in part because if you make turnovers yourself, you're negating that. But uh, there's a lot to like about that game. I think the idea that what Dino Babers is trying to do, and this is really an answer to if anybody wants to claim that game is devastating, it really should be anything but. I understand it was not you're settling for the booby prize here. The uh, team can't be into moral victories. I think fans kind of can. <laughs> okay. And right now, in terms of community standpoint, Dino Babers wants the community to stick with because he hopes he's got his guys doing the right thing to keep their attention. What did we get out of this game besides a loss? I hope the community, I hope the university saw a team that they can get behind. I hope they can see the vision. 
that I was talking about and, and support this football team. I hope that we, that we are doing our part of putting something on the football field that they can be proud of, something that they can come and watch and cheer for. And this next uh, piece of sound I want to play for you is from Coach Baber's press conference just this morning. This really was his first words, which is him sort of setting the tone for the week. And while he in part was asking the media, hey, don't ask the players questions about the last game. I mean, come on, you can't really do that. And they're going to ask those questions anyway. And the players should be asked and should answer the questions. But within his locker room, he wants to keep the focus on moving forward. Let these young men put this thing to put it to bed so that we can move on to Pittsburgh. They're a fine football team. We haven't had a fantastic uh, record down there at their place, and we have a really, really big game that means a lot. The team is really moving on. We were in here yesterday. We reviewed the tape. There were fabulous things that happened on offense and defense and special teams, and there was things that we wish we had back. That's players, coaches, uh, all the way around the room. But if you talk about the effort and the uh, – just the pride that they went down here and represented the community and the university and everybody. I can't be more prouder of these guys. I mean, it was really, really a big feat. And uh, that team is really good. And it's really well coached. And we tried to make up the entire 24 points, but I guess we could only make up 21 or 22. I can't even remember the final score. I'm so numb. But uh, I'm really proud of the young men. There he's referring to the line that he actually talked about a little bit on Thursday, the idea that the Orange were three touchdown favorites. Back to the baseball for a sec. Christian Yelich, who ought to be the National League MVP, up for the Brewers right now in a tied game 1-1, top of the sixth at Wrigley Field. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Those games are on ESPN 1200 AM if you're bored of us and want to hear baseball. The uh, Rockies at the Dodgers at 4 o'clock Eastern uh, to follow. Jason Benetti calling the game. Okay, very good. Good to keep uh, Jason busy. And, you know, when when Babers lists what there was to be proud of, for me, Syracuse special teams is legit in, in every aspect. Every time special teams is on the field, uh, they are at least holding their own, if not in an advantage. Uh, today's news that Matt Keller is going to miss the rest of the season is a huge blow. You know, you put a freshman in that spot. How consistent will he be? How good will his times be? Will that change anything with the – Kicker Andre Schmidt, there's another hit for Yelich, who just just doesn't stop. The guy's batting uh, 330 this year. It's just incredible. Uh, Andre Schmidt, by the way, named the kicker of the week in the ACC. So special teams is legit. Eric Dungy's a warrior. That, that's not a question or a news story anymore. I thought maybe the next most exciting thing in that game was the catch by Taj Harris. He had a 51-yard reception. Jamal Custis made a catch. Devin Butler, who had a drop or two, which also isn't news. He's had issues with that throughout his career. He made a couple of big catches. Orange need to find a way to run the ball more consistently, and I wouldn't come out of that game doing uh, backflips over the Syracuse offense. Uh, But I think the defensive line is extraordinary. Certainly you saw Clemson's at a different level. And uh, they were able to keep uh, fresh people in there. But uh, all in all, I think that game Saturday is one to be encouraged about. And the transition into this one against the Pitt team that has a losing record uh, is very important because uh, you cannot afford to lose uh, this week in these back-to-back road games. Okay, anything else to add on that, Polly, before we put uh, 
Clemson to bed for today at least? No, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm with you on everything. Actually, I'll say this. The, and I did allude to this both on the air at the time and then post-game with Dino Babers. I'll bring it up here you know, as we rehash on a Monday as we typically do. I hope people understand what they're looking at in terms of the statements. And, I, and I'm not yet ready to go, oh, Syracuse is back and all these other things. I will say this, and I've seen every snap for 15 years and obviously many more before that, but being in person and at the games. To me, it was jaw-dropping that Clemson early in the game had fourth and a foot and punted. That hasn't happened in recent years. Okay, the, the game that basically got Scott Schaefer fired was at NC State. Syracuse did not go for it on fourth and short. NC State says, uh, yeah, we're going to go for it on our own 30, fourth and short. And they just mowed him over. I mean, that was the culture of the program not long ago. And that, to me, was significant. Clemson walked away from that. Clemson, to punch it in on the goal line, brought in their 350-pound All-American defensive tackle for extra beef to ensure that they would get the ball into the end zone. They didn't just walk in on their own early in the game. Last few seconds of the first half, now with Chase Bryce in there at quarterback, they wanted to pack up and go in. You know, the, the idea of going back to clock management, Dino Babers didn't forget like that timeouts were a thing. Like a guy doesn't do that in the first half and then not do it in the second half because he spaced out or something. That is not what happened there. He was calling timeout to at least force them to do something to, to show their hand. Had Clemson not run actual plays that took a little time off the clock and had, had they kneeled it there a couple of times, um, then you might have forced them to punt. Now you go all out after the punt. The fact they ran the ball, maybe they put it on the ground again because they had done that a number of times in the game. Um, and Clemson made more mistakes as the game turned out. One of them just happened to work for them. Their false start set up a big play. Syracuse made its share of mistakes too. That's going to happen on the road. But the number uh, wasn't as slanted as it typically is in terms of who blinks in this environment. The last time the Orange went down there, 54 zip. This time they led until a minute to go in the game. So that is it. I know some people uh, from here went down to the game. Great uh, game day environment always there at Clemson. I hope you enjoyed that and uh, hope you can bring some of that here to the Dome when the Orange are back on October 20th and then the 27th back-to-back weekends, Tobacco Road against Carolina and NC State. The uh, one-game playoff here, Brewers and Cubs tied at one, top of the sixth. We'll keep an eye on that. We'll move along with Do We Care. We'll talk baseball with Seth Everett before the show is over. You're listening to In the Booth. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth till 3 o'clock today. Back tomorrow here every day this week, but for Friday, which is a travel day, Ivan Mazel, who came out with a uh, very strong uh, pro-Syracuse tweet post-Saturday's uh, game, will be our guest on Thursday's show, ESPN uh, Couch Football Writer. Looking forward to that. Is that all you got to do to get a spot on this show? Say something nice in Twitter? Uh, not necessarily. It, do- it uh, doesn't hurt to know. So a guy like that I've been thinking about having on for a long time, but when he is that clear that he's got an eye on Syracuse, then it becomes a good time. It's called a news hook, Paulie. That's, that's uh, an excuse to have him on. We don't need much of an excuse to have our friend Seth Everett on, but uh, we will bring him on today in a segment that I'm going to call Playoffs for Dummies because we've been buried in football. Seth's going to bring us up to speed on uh, what we've missed in the last uh, month or so in MLB. Seth also hosts the post-game show after football, and we're told today, Seth, you'll be doing that in basketball too, so that's very cool for the wow. listeners. Wow. 
Yeah, Is I that need news to renegotiate. To you? Oh, okay. You guys got you, you guys announce things before pen okay. goes to paper, but uh, that's, that's, that's okay. great. I had so much fun with the football one, and uh, you know, I did. I I did say that when they were four and zero, you know, no, it, it could have been me. It could have been the fact that I was doing it, but the Clemson game. <laughs> well, yeah, and we'll come back to that uh, another yeah, time. Sure. It's probably uh, all. All your credit or blame, but uh, yeah, we'll, right. <laughs> we'll come back and let, let's just pretend for right now it has something to do with the team and the coaches and the opponents, and we'll come back to your theory maybe uh, maybe another time. And the fact that we get to play your interview with Coach Babers at, in the middle of the show. Okay. I mean, I have talked to you. You just don't talk back. <laughs> I don't hear when you. When you say back upstairs, I go, thanks, Matt. <laughs> there you go. Back to the guys. I'll try to keep that uh, even more vague uh, on road, road games, especially for the future. Hey, uh, <laughs> one thing I know I missed over the weekend because, you know, again, we're kind of absorbed in, in football yeah, right now Clemson, is uh, yeah. our mutual friend, David Wright. And yes. uh, not really a friend anymore because I didn't I, – I kind of regret that I never really kept in touch with him, but uh, we – I was the broadcaster when he was in Double A up here in Binghamton. Super yep. class act, and I'm not the only one to, to point that out. But he had his swan song on the weekend, and, and maybe you could take us through how it went. I saw some of the video, but uh, a great guy. Looks like he got a great send off from the Mets. Yeah, it was a very nice thing. It was a sellout crowd, which I was very impressed with. Unfortunately, uh, that game went to like almost midnight. Uh, they played an extra inning scoreless game, so uh, the fans were entertained by absolutely nothing. But, uh, you know, Wright is as classy as they get. You know, my David Wright stories stem from all the way in the beginning. I met him around the same time you did at the Rookie Career Development Program uh, in Virginia. And then as he came up to the Mets, he helped me out a lot. Uh, I don't want to make this segment about me, but you know, we had an incident with Jeff Francoeur that he kind of negotiated for us. And uh, when our mutual friend uh, Shannon, uh, I knew her as Shannon Dalton, but Shannon Ford, who was the Mets uh, VP of Public Relations, she passed away due to cancer. Uh, David Wright gave one of the greatest eulogies I've ever heard any human being do, uh, let alone a baseball player. Um, so those are the things that I take away from him. Um, he just exudes leadership in a sport where players aren't recognizable. You know, I have said on a many radio Radio stations, including when I when I've done segments with Brent on this station, I have said play an audio clip of Mike Trout, and who, who's arguably the best player in the sport, and don't identify him, and give a T-shirt away to the first guy who can recognize him. You couldn't pick Mike Trout out of a lineup, but it's a bygone era where players were recognizable, and David Wright was the face of a franchise for 15 years. And I thought he was he was very touched by the ovations. He was touched by everything that happened, and I think that he is brokenhearted. I spoke to him a little bit. He's brokenhearted just because his body is not allowing him to continue to play. He's 35. He does not want to hang it up. And he's going to go on the physically unable to perform list, and he's going to continue with his contract. But he doesn't want to be anything like that. He he rehabbed for two and a half years just to get his body well enough to play one game. That wasn't because he felt the obligation to. He didn't have the need to. Basically, what he did was out of the love of the sport. When do you hear professional athletes do that? Yeah, I love it. And his uh, wife and Young family were at the game, and you wish it was more than one game that he got to play, but it did not work out that way for uh, David Wright, but he will be remembered uh, as the captain of the Mets, and uh, a great career just uh, cut short by uh, spinal stenosis and other issues. Uh, seemed like he had a setback every problem, time. problem, a shoulder problem, yeah. yeah, all kinds of stuff. All right, so game 163 is today times two. We've got the Brewers and Cubs right now at Wrigley. Looks like the Brewers just turned, yes, turned a double play. 
And uh, that game you still can't not do play by play, huh? <laughs> I love baseball, and I love it's jumping in on that. But uh, there's that, and then there's the uh, Dodgers and Rockies. Give me a feel. What did I miss here? How did the uh, NL Central shake out? I know that was uh, tooth and nail for the last little bit. The Brewers were better than everybody expected uh, this year. The Cardinals were written off early in the season and came back to make it interesting. Well, the thing about Milwaukee that's been interesting is they're a team that's built for a regular season. They don't have a shutdown ace. They don't have a guy that says, you know, if we have one game where we absolutely need, he has to be the guy that takes the ball. Uh, they have a rotation where they just go to everybody. They have a, a bunch of young pitchers. They have a shutdown bullpen, this kid, uh, Jeremy Jeffress, uh, Josh Hader. Uh, they have really established an ability to shorten games. And what the Brewers have done is they've scored just enough. And it reminds me a lot. Uh, Matt of the 2014 Orioles, you know, just of a couple of years ago, uh, not, not a great team in terms of, you know, built for the short season, but what they have done is they have responded to adversity. Remember right at the All-Star game, uh, Hater was, uh, they found some bad mm-hmm. tweets that he had done when he was uh, in high school or whatever, and, you know, the team really rallied around him, and they actually played really well once that happened. There was an incident a couple of weeks ago where the, the manager gave Yelich, who's easily the MVP in the National League, they gave him the day off against the Cubs. And a lot of people thought that was crazy. Like, if you're going to give him a day off, do it against the Pirates. And the team responded. The team won eight in a row right after that. So they have been uh, pushed, and they have responded, I think, really brilliantly. Uh, Quintana is now out of the game. Quintana is a guy who's owned the, the, the Brewers. Six and two lifetime. He's been dominant ever since he put on a Cubs uniform. And now he's out of the game, and they're tied 1-1. And it's a battle of bullpens, and the Brewers are very confident. I, look, I think the these games are unpredictable. I've said that all along. I think postseason baseball is unpredictable. But for a, a league and a sport that's had a really, really rough season, in my opinion, too many strikeouts and a lot of problems with pacing and a lot of problems with disparity, there, it has been a great month in the Central. And the Cardinals were a big part of that. The fact that the Cardinals were pushing both those teams really made it a thrill. Seth Everett is with us. Just another minute here, Seth, uh, before we turn you loose, we're calling this uh, playoffs for dummies. Uh, we'll get to my beef <laughs> another time. That I hate the starting pitcher being de-emphasized and pulled out of the game. It, it, it's kind of it's, dampened my enthusiasm it, for the, the postseason a, here a little bit. But it's on a list. It's a yeah, list of yeah. a lot of things that are wrong with the game. And there's a great piece by Scott Miller uh, in Bleacher Report where he went up to Cooperstown at the Hall of Fame induction and he interviewed all the Hall of Famers about stuff like that. And, Matt, it'll break your heart to read this article. <laughs> it, 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 because you're hearing the names that these are the players that got you and me involved in baseball in the beginning, and now all of a sudden you're finding that these guys can't watch it either? It's it's rough. Luckily for baseball, the month of September between the Oakland A's and then the NL Central and the NL West with three teams for two spots, uh, it has been a really great race uh, between the two of them. All right, running out of time here. 30 seconds. Yankees, go. Uh, perhaps you uh, I don't. I don't. I don't think that they go into anything as the prohibitive favorite. I think their numbers are inflated because of the disparity in the American League. Uh, they beat up on on dregs. And if you took ten wins away, I have the same analysis. Uh, I'm pulling for them. I'll be there Wednesday night. But I don't have any. I don't have any insight to say this is a team that's on any kind of a run. Uh, they'll be lucky to get past Oakland, and then they have to go beat Boston. Yeah, good stuff. I, I think they're the team that. Uh Anybody they line up against is going to be afraid they could put 15 runs up in a game, but they could lose to anybody, too. And uh, that's what makes it fun this time of year. So we're looking forward to it. Seth, uh, great time to be alive. Appreciate uh, you and your time. 
Thanks, man. On Saturday after the Pittsburgh game, come to this station. Don't listen to Matt. Just come let to me, this station. Let me and let me just record like a back to you, Seth. I, I could do there that. There you go. Right. A standard one. All right. See about that's Seth Everett. You can uh, catch him on the post game following football, but obviously longtime Major League Baseball reporter, former uh, Mets pregame host, among other things. And uh, we appreciate the, his quickly running through some of the playoff scenarios for us. Back to wrap it up with Do We Care next in the booth. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Don't care no more. Syracuse and Clemson was ABC's highest rated noon game since 2016 with a 3.3 overnight rating, up 65% from the same game window last year. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, great TV, great setting, sellout crowd, Sean McDonough, Todd Blackledge, great job. Uh, the U.S. They lost the Ryder Cup this uh, this weekend, uh, seventeen and a half to ten and a half. Tiger lost all four of his points that he uh, participated in this weekend. Yeah, he didn't have it. I think he uh, really competed. I think I want to say like seven out of nine weekends here in this stretch, and did not follow up his uh, tour championship. It was tough. The Americans got absolutely worked over. Yeah, the, he he seemed drained. He he did not perform well at all. And Finally, Ryan Fitzpatrick. It seems like the Fitz magic may have have run out here. Uh, the the Buccaneers lost forty eight to ten. Fitzpatrick went nine for eighteen with one hundred twenty five yards and a pick. He was pulled at halftime. Jameis Winston came in and did a little bit better. He he went uh, sixteen for twenty with one hundred forty five yards, a touchdown, and two picks. Not uh, tremendously surprising. Winston's a first round pick. Fitzpatrick is a journeyman. That's the way it sort of goes. We'll talk about it with uh, Cam Lynch, assuming he's able to be with us again tomorrow, which is the plan for him on uh, a regular Tuesday segment. And you knew this was pretty much inevitably going to happen. Not that Fitzpatrick uh, wasn't capable of putting up the numbers that he did for that period of time, but he's eventually going to return to the mean a little bit. They got absolutely waxed by the Bears. We'll talk with uh, Cam about that tomorrow. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks to uh, Tommy and Pauly for their help today. We appreciate Seth Everett for joining us as well. Back tomorrow, 2 o'clock. These uh, one-game playoffs air on ESPN 1200 today. Cubs and Brewers still tied. Dodgers and Rockies coming up later today. This is ESPN Radio.